Amen. You know, we serve a mighty God. We serve a great God. One who gave his life for us and died on the cross so that we could be free from the, 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 the penalty of our sin. And what a blessing that is when we think about that, how much he has done for us. And you know, it's our joy when we come together as a body and we come together and we worship the Lord. And I want to talk this morning about, about worshiping to please God. Worshiping to please God, and, and I know that um, you know, God will, will bless us if we, if we listen, if we uh, really just lay ourselves open before Him and just let Him speak to our hearts. I mean, have you ever thought about why you do good deeds? Why you do good deeds? Why you do the things that, that you can? You know, keeping our motivation in mind will help enhance, but also even enjoy uh, your service more, of knowing the why you do the things that you do. Okay, a lot of times we just kind of go through the motions. We're not doing that this morning. What we're doing is we're being all in with what we're, where we're at and what's going on. And I, I want you to understand this. Do you, you know, do you do good deeds in order to feel good or, or, or maybe to please yourself? Well, of course not, Brother Ridge. That's not why we do it. I mean, I don't think that we do that. But sometimes it seems like, like it might be that we're getting something of benefit if we do something for someone else. So, so do you do good deeds in order to be noticed? So that other people will see you, so that they will look at you and have respect for you and, and those kind of things. You see, the real purpose for doing any Christian deed is simple. It's to please God. And the reason that I say it's a Christian deed is because the, the, the assumption here before this message is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It all starts there. Because He gave His life for us and we accept His sacrifice for our sin, and therefore we have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So any of the things that we do prior to that that are good deeds are like filthy rags until we accept the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus Christ. See, I would submit to you this morning that it's important to continually hold this warning before us in our minds because we always need it. We always need to understand why we do the things that we do. If we understand the why, then we can do the what. We're constantly in danger of falling into a trap, though, of doing our righteous acts to be seen by other people. In fact, I would suggest that the longer that you walk with the Lord Jesus the more susceptible you are, the more your life becomes characterized by acts of righteousness and as a regular pattern of your daily practice, then the more you need to listen to this warning. I think it's highly important. It happens to us without much effort. And I probably shouldn't tell you this, but it happens to pastors very easily. Actually, I probably don't have to tell you that. You know, someone told me about a week ago about a pastor who, whenever someone complimented him on his sermon, 
uh, would piously say, you know, give, give glory to God. Well, someone walked up to him one Sunday and they said, that was a good sermon, Pastor. And his response was, you know, well, all the glory goes to God. The other person said, well, Pastor, I said it was a good sermon, but it wasn't that good. Hey, I'm guilty too. I mean, it's easy for us to say something like that. But really, what are we saying? And, and I, I see that and, you know, I hope to challenge you this morning uh, in this, and, but also to encourage you. Because I think it's important that we understand what Jesus is teaching. See, if, if we say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, then by golly, we better know what he taught. That's why we've been hanging out in, 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 the, in the book of Matthew in chapter 5 and 6 and, and 7 in his Sermon on the Mount. I want to read out of uh, chapter 6, a, a kind of a lengthy passage. But I, I, I want you just to, to open up your scripture and, and hang with me. We're going to read uh, down through verse 18 in chapter 6. And God's word says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 5. When you pray, you are not to to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Verse 16. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Loving Father, I thank You for this time. And I, Lord Jesus, I thank You for Your Word. I, I ask that You would help us just to internalize it. 
and that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Father, we thank you for your indwelling Holy Spirit. So guide us as we study, as we learn, as we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I would submit to you this morning that Jesus, in this passage, he gave us some examples, some principles about worship. And he dealt with three different areas here, three actions of worship. The first one is almsgiving, and the second one is prayer, and the third one is fasting. These are things, if you will, to do, and and they're regarding our worship. And I would say what really matters is our sincerity, but what really hurts is our hypocrisy. See, our worship experiences are for God's eyes alone, not people's. We are worshiping Him. Not to be noticed by others, not, to, not so that other people will give us praise, but our, our worship is for Him. It's an audience of one. And really all we need to understand is, is He pleased with us? He's already done everything for us. That's the question. See, the worship that God approves is that which is done with no thought of gaining anything for self. Well, if we sing the songs that I enjoy, then worship was good. What are you measuring that by? Your personal preference? What matters is what God thinks. And our worship is something not for us to take from. (laughs) Many times we get something out of it, but it's not for us. It's not about us. It's not for us. It's about Him. And so as we worship, that that, that is what it needs to be about. And Jesus here, he talks in this passage about uh, the practice of serving the needs of others. He calls it almsgiving here. And you know, the twofold gospel, it's written on the the, the front of the bulletin. It says, love God, love others. The twofold gospel, love God, love others. And we've added this, serve the world. And what we mean by that is this practice of serving others, serving the needs of others. See, Jesus calls his followers to do charitable actions with righteous motives. Consider the phrase that he says here, when you give to the poor. When you give to the poor. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't speak to his disciples in these verses and say, so if you give to the poor. No, he says, when you give to the poor. Assuming that his followers are going to do that. Assuming that his followers are going to share some of the bountiful harvest that he has given his his people, his children. See, Jesus assumes that we will be doing this. That we will be giving to the poor. But then comes the danger. He says, when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. He talks about two different realms here. Two basic realms of public activity. He talks about the synagogue and he talks about the streets. The synagogue 
was the place where it was the religious center of life. It was, it was the center of religious life in that day. So he's talking about the, the place where worship took place, the, the, the place of, of religious life. But he also talked about the streets, which is the place where everyday life was lived out. You might say the marketplace out in the streets. Now, I've, I've often thought what a funny picture he draws for us here. He certainly has a sense of humor in his teaching describing for us a man that is blowing his own horn. Tooting his own horn. Hey, look here. I'm giving to the poor. Everybody notice. I'm getting to the poor. I'm going to put it in their hand right now and everybody sees what I've done. And he may have even said the amount. He may have been actually blowing a trumpet. Can you imagine? I'm giving to the poor. So that everyone will notice and say, my, my, what a generous person Ridge is. That's the picture Jesus paints for us here. And the reason someone would do this is obvious. For the glory of other people. So that they would think, what a wonderful person you are. But what wouldn't have been so obvious unless Jesus had pointed it out is the result. And he says this, he says, truly, the authoritative son of God, God in the flesh, the one with all power, the one whose name is above every name. So when I say the authoritative son of God. He knows the outcome. He knows what's going to happen. And he says, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. They're getting nothing else from that. That's huge. We might think, wow, what a generous person that is. Or, man, look how much they gave to the poor. Look at what they were doing. And Jesus is saying, if we're doing it so other people will see then you have your reward in full. You can expect nothing else from that gift. See, the hornblowers get what they were after. And they receive the attention and the glory of men, but that's all they will ever receive. They have forfeited any reward with God. See, the Greek words here, almsgiving, means deeds of mercy or pity. And Jesus was not just concerned about the external generosity of giving. He spoke about the, the Pharisees calling attention to their giving. And the Pharisees had their reward. They sought the applause of others and they got it. <laughs> See, Jesus explained the Christian way, his followers' way to serve others' needs. He said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus meant for us not to tell others about our giving, but just do it. And let your reward be in heaven with God. Instead of calling attention to it. See, Jesus spoke about the rewards of proper giving. And the genuine reward, I want you to focus in on this, the genuine reward for giving to serve the needs of others. Is to see human needs relieved. 
The genuine reward of giving to see someone else's need met is the, is the relieving of that need in their life. This morning, I want to I really hone in on some application. And I'm wanting you to take this with you. So the application is that we should practice almsgiving. Giving to meet someone else's need. I mean, our needs have been met. How can we give to help someone else's need be met? Almsgiving is giving to those in need. And you know, as I was praying through this passage and thinking about this, we are so blessed in our culture and in our society to have running water plumbed right into our homes. If you've been anywhere else in the world, if you've been in any kind of third world country, you understand that we live in luxury. To be able to go and to turn the tap and to put a glass under there and to be able to drink whatever comes out of that faucet. Folks, we live in a blessed world and we take that for granted. Here's my point. Rogers and Rachel Kahindi are serving in Kalifi, Kenya. And last year, we raised $10,000 to send a water well drilling rig over there. $10,000 to send this rig over there so they could dig and drill a water well in their village that they live so that people around there could have living water. A fresh water supply. On their recent trip to Texas, they just went back. On their recent trip here, Rogers shared his vision with me that since they have the drilling rig already there, he has a vision that they would like to drill eight more water wells in the, vision, in the, in the, the, the villages around that central one so that more and more people could have water, fresh water. So providing living water for more and more people. See, according to his calculation, Rogers told me that each water well costs approximately $3,500 for everything start to finish. For the casing, for anything that might happen, for some of those workers to, 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 to make a little bit for them to take home. They're giving up their time to come and, and work. They need to take something home to feed their family. So all of it start to finish, including the, the pump and everything they need to do that, is $3,500. I'm praying through this, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, you know what? Next month, Memorial is sending a team to Tanzania and to Kenya. I believe it would please the heart of God for us as a church to come alongside them in this worthy vision of drilling eight more wells and take an offering with us to start that next well with. I mean, if you would like to partner with us on that, I just encourage you to put a contribution in one of the envelopes there and write on it, water well. And we're going to take whatever offering we have raised but understand Rogers and Rachel don't know anything about this 
So I'd like you to keep it off of social media or whatever. But we got about a month to raise an offering. I think that would be amazing to see what God would do with that. So I'm saying practice almsgiving. That's what Jesus is saying. When you give, do it this way. Jesus also discusses the practice of praying to the Heavenly Father. He gives us a basic difference between hypocrisy and reality in prayer. He spoke about the hypocrites first when he's talking about prayer. The hypocrites love to pray in the synagogues and on the street corner and listen to me, I'm going to pray this beautiful prayer that's going to tickle your ears and you're going to, you're going to know that, that, man, I'm in touch with God so that they can be seen by men. See, instead of praying to God, the hypocrite is praying to the gallery. He's praying to the crowds. And Jesus described reality in prayer. He said, when we seek authentic prayer, what we are doing is we are seeking communion with God. It's not about those who are hearing you and listening. You're praying, seeking communion with God. I think that's, that's big. Because the essence of Christian prayer is to be in God's presence and in communion with Him. See, the reward that the Father gives us is His presence. He is with us. See, Jesus gave us the model prayer for His followers. And it's a model in the address because it's to be directed to God. It's a model in needs. There's three petitions there for God's glory and there's three petitions for human needs. But sometimes when we pray, it's hard not to wonder what other people are thinking about what we have just prayed. Did I say the right words? Did they notice that I had trouble finding that perfect phrase? Did they think that the prayer was too long? Did they think it was too short? Did I wow them? Did I embarrass them? Or did I just embarrass myself? Because a lot of times all these thoughts are going through our mind when we're praying. And all in all, praying in public is a lot of pressure. I mean, there's so many ways you could goof up the prayer. And then what would people think? How many of our prayers are ostentatious? They're flashy. How many of our prayers are not said for God's benefit but for the benefit of those people who are listening. See, I think, I think it's very easy to slip into this kind of prayer. I mean, when I was a kid, I learned how to do this. We would have people over for dinner. And one of us boys would be called on to lead the prayer, to ret- return thanks, to give grace. And I'd try to pray like I'd heard my dad pray. I would use some of the same words that my dad would use in his prayer. Because I felt like that was a good prayer, so I needed to follow suit. And after the prayer, someone might say, great job, well done. As if I had just finished a performance. And maybe I had. See, prayer can be a kind of performance, saying the right words in the right way, smoothly, loudly, clearly, pausing at just the right moments for effect. I mean, for some people, talking to God requires a special language. 
to show proper respect. I mean, everyone knows that God speaks old Shakespearean English from the 1600s. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have put all the these and thous and thou shalt nots and those kind of things in the Bible. But prayers must begin a certain way and they must end a certain way. And apparently it's very important to get the form just right. And that's one of the reasons why we have written prayers. Especially those that rhyme so we can know what to say and when to say. As we pray, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. So that we understand what to say and when. You know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with written prayers. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with King James English. What I am saying is that when we pray, we're often too concerned with getting it right. And that the reason that we are so concerned about that is because other people are listening. And we want our prayers to sound good to them. But Jesus says, that's not the kind of prayer I want you to learn. By contrast, he tells us in verse 6 how we should pray. And here's the application. Practice secret prayer. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. So this week, when you pray, make it prayer. Make your prayer between you and God. Just you and him. Find a place to be alone. Go someplace where you can't be seen. Go to a hidden place. And God, who, is, who also cannot be seen, will meet you in that hidden place. See, I think it's really important to be precise here in our understanding. Because Jesus is not saying that you've done something wrong if people hear you pray. That's not what he's saying. He's not even saying that it's wrong if people are impressed by your prayer. What he's saying is that it's wrong to pray for the purpose of impressing people. It's not an issue about who knows what about or what they think about it. But it's all about your motive as you pray and commune with God. Why do you do it? For him or for other people? See, sometimes people are afraid to pray out loud in front of someone else, and some of you here may feel that way. And I'm telling you right now, it's okay to pray to God in private when no one else can hear. You may feel uncomfortable praying in front of other people. You may feel that, you know, I know it's hard, but I'd like to suggest something to you. Ignore all those other people. It's not about them. It's about him. About an audience of one. It doesn't matter what they think. Just express to God your real thoughts and your real words in your own way. Because God already knows you and he knows your heart. He knows your thoughts and he loves you. So just talk to God. Stop worrying about who might be listening. Because it's none of their business. It's a relationship between you and God. And by the way, if you're one of those people who think that it is your business, cut it out. Because God didn't appoint you to be the prayer sheriff. You know, as a pastor, I've had an occasion to say a lot of prayers in front of a lot of other people. And I've had people evaluate them and 
find them wanting. I've had people say, well, he shouldn't have prayed that, or he left something out, or, or he should have added something. But I just want to tell them, uh, excuse me, I wasn't talking to you. I'm talking to him. So we're talking to God in front of each other. So we have almsgiving, we have prayer, and finally the practice of discipline, disciplining ourselves. <laughs> Jesus used this third illustration from worship. We don't think about it too much, but it's called fasting. We don't hear a whole lot about fasting these days. Maybe that's why we don't have focus when we come to pray, when we come to worship. Because we've not spent time fasting. See, fasting showed a sign of penitence and self-discipline. And pious Jews of that day would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And many loved to impress people with their self-discipline. And Jesus did not condemn fasting. He's saying you shouldn't fast. What he's saying is, if you are fasting, then you should not announce that to everyone. Let that be your time between you and God. <laughs> he said that a person with a truly contrite heart would let fasting be known to God alone. I mean, the purpose of the hypocritical fasting was to make the practice known to everybody. I mean, look at me. I'm all, I'm all drawn up. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in, in so many days. And oh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for, for God. you gotta, you got to feel my pain. I haven't had anything to eat all morning. So, man, I am, I am struggling here. Really? So that somebody will think you are a great Christian? Jesus is saying, let it be between you and God. Anoint your head. Wash your face. Don't walk around with the, you know, the, your, your, your cheeks sunk in thinking, well, I, I'm, I'm just a better Christian than someone else because I've spent time with God. See, Jesus spoke of secrecy. He told people who practice fasting to do it so that no one would suspect that they are fasting. And the purpose of fasting was not to advertise our discipline to others, but the purpose of fasting is to discipline ourselves. Not so that others would see that. So why do you do what you do for God? I mean, Jesus spoke of two purposes. One was for vanity or pride. So that we would be, our reward would be from others. And the other was for humility, and our reward would be from God. Well, you're doing it, or at least you ought to be doing it. He says, he, he assumes that when, when you give to the poor, when you pray, whenever you fast. So the assumption is that as followers of Christ, we will be doing that. But in more importantly, why are you doing it? And he's addressing our motivation for fasting. Verse 17 and 18 says, But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
So the application here is practice fasting. Practice fasting one meal. Practice fasting an entire day. I recognize medical conditions. I recognize that we have things we have to be careful of. The first time I tried to fast, I found myself in the hospital with kidney stones. I changed up my regiment for fasting. I don't want to do that again. I will drink plenty of fluid. But the idea is, is we can figure this out. We, we need to practice fasting. I got an idea. Maybe try fasting a meal this week. So that you can pray during that time in secret. So that you can ask God how much to give in almsgiving. Fasting, praying, giving. All of these are things that Jesus assumed his followers would be doing. But you see, it takes discipline. Spiritual discipline. So make the effort. Make the effort. Folks, we've got to make the effort to do the things that Jesus commanded. Whether that is sharing our testimony, whether that is going and making disciples, whether that is being generous and giving to the poor or somebody that, that is less fortunate than us. But you see, our Lord is speaking of a heart relationship here. Heart relations, he is saying, is more important than public relations. Being one with him, being at peace with what God has given us to do. See, our Lord is helping us to guard against the participating in an outward, external, religious rituals as a cover-up for what's lacking in our private life. Isn't that the way it is? We're so empty on the inside that we want to do something outside so that people won't see that. And they'll think, oh yeah, he's, he's all on board. Jesus is saying, as is the theme throughout this sermon, you must have reality rather than ritual. You must have a relationship rather than religion. I can't make it any plainer. Apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, none of this is going to happen. That's the very first start is surrendering to Jesus Christ. Saying, you know what? I've done it my way. You know... If God sees you and he knows where you're at, you won't care how many other people see you. If God hears you, you won't care who's listening. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us so much that 
Father, you, you, you tell us what we need. You warn us about having this outward religion without having the relationship. So Father, I pray that even now, in this time, that your Holy Spirit would continue to convict our hearts. Father, that our hearts would be soft, pliable, hearts of flesh and not hearts of stone. That, Father, we would desire more of you and less of us. Father, that it would not be about us or who's watching. But, Father, today that we would humble ourselves before you. Father, that we would be all in with you. That the relationship would take priority. That your son Jesus would come into focus. Father, that we would do the things and discipline ourselves so that we can accomplish the things that you have for us. Father, at the end of the day, I don't want you to ever think that I'm just playing games. But Father, that it's for your kingdom and it's for your glory. Lord, I pray for hearts of fire. I ask, Father, that we would do the things that you call us to do. Father, that we would fast, that we would pray, that we would give. And Father, that we would see your glory manifested through this body. Father, it is our joy to serve you. To be your hands and feet in this world. To be followers of Jesus Christ. To do the things that he calls us to do. To see lives being transformed. Even as we ourselves are being transformed. Father, we love you. I ask that your Holy Spirit would have his way in each of our hearts. As we respond to you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.